بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا أما بعد مدير brothers and sisters السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to class number three of the Fiqh of Social Media. Now, where are my people at that joined me in the challenge last week? So the challenge last week was you had to turn your screen time on and see how you did. And I told them that uh, there's no embarrassment or being shy in this matter and that I would start off with myself, okay? So my screen time was absolutely horrible. And honest to God, Allah is my witness, I'm very sharing this with you. Only just because I said that I would, that's the only reason I'm sharing it. It was eight hours. Eight hours was my screen time. But now let me try to defend myself in some way, somehow. A lot of this was YouTube. A lot of this was YouTube. And what I realized is that YouTube keeps your screen on unless you have like a subscription. When you're driving or if you're listening to something while you're working, your screen's always on and that counts as screen time. So like the average lecture is like 40 minutes to an hour long. So that's where a lot of the time was coming. So like three hours a day of YouTube. I'm like, what's happening over here? But then I realized that it keeps your screen on. So hopefully you guys won't judge me too badly, inshallah. Yalla, who's next? Who's next? Bismillah, go ahead. Eight hours and a half. Okay. Go ahead. Seven hours. Ten hours. Allahu Akbar. That's impressive, bro. That's impressive, mashallah. Go ahead. Six hours, 47 minutes. Go ahead. 12 hours. Allahu Akbar. You're memorizing some serious Quran, mashallah. Allahu Akbar. Yeah. The, the one that it shows you, like it shows you a daily average, right? An hour and 24. Allahu Akbar. Mashallah, tabarakallah. Mumtaz. Three hours and three minutes? Mashallah. From the sisters, what do we have? MashaAllah, I wouldn't expect more from you. I wouldn't expect more from you. That's very good, MashaAllah. Go ahead. Three hours are ebooks? Kalas, so you, you have justification as well, inshallah. Go ahead. Three hours? That's really impressive, MashaAllah. Go ahead. Nine hours. Allahu Akbar. Another person reciting a lot of Quran, MashaAllah. So I hope this is a good exercise. Oh, you have it on as well? Ten hours? No, Habibi. You're too young to be doing ten hours. Seriously? We'll, we'll talk after. We'll talk after, inshallah. You had a science project? Alhamdulillah. I, I love that. I love that. Okay. So I hope that was a good exercise. We have to be able to confront our own demons. We have to be able to confront our own demons in order to make progress. So you want to see where your time is being lost? And particularly if it's on social media, then we got to fix that, right? Like the, as we mentioned last week, the average person will spend two hours Try not to be above average in this matter. You know, we often tell people to excel and be above average, be extraordinary, not in this matter. Try to be under the two hours. Try to be under the two hours, bidnillahi ta'ala. So now, let's move on to today's topic, which we will be talking about publicizing sins. Publicizing sins. What's been really fascinating on social media this week is people have been sharing what they've been listening to 
and how long they've been listening to their Spotify accounts. I, I don't know, I'm not sure if other um, like brands do this, but I know Spotify is really big on this, and a lot of people were sharing this. So one of the individuals that I was following, it showed you know, what they were listening to, but the shocking part was they shared how many minutes of music they had listened to. I did some math after dividing it by 24, sorry, dividing it by 60, then dividing it by 24, it came out to 54 days of music that this person had listened to. And I was like, subhanAllah. So I think this ties in perfectly that when we talk about you know, spreading sins and sharing sins, a lot of times people don't think about how much society actually promotes this, right? Like Spotify and other platforms will actually facilitate for you to share what you're listening to and how much you're listening to it. Now Spotify actually had good causes in the sense that there are a lot of podcasts that you can listen to. And if you're listening to podcasts, great. If you're listening to podcasts, great. But if you're listening to music, then this is something that drastically needs to change. And I want to quickly speak about music over here. Sheikh Kamal al-Makki actually has a very good lecture called The End of Music, in which he goes into detail talking about the Islamic ruling on music. What I want to do is counter the argument of those people that say that music is halal. Counter the argument of those people that say music is halal. Now where I'm coming from over here is firstly we have to define what type of music we're talking about. So contemporary music that has a lot of profanity in it, that's you know, promoting a, a very haram culture, that we all need to agree upon is haram by consensus. No one will tell you that that sort of music is halal. In the past, you've had two scholars that are often quoted that have allowed music. You have Ibn Hazm and Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahumullah, great scholars of Islam, they have done tremendous work, and they are the ones that are often quoted in music being halal. But when they speak about music being halal, two things need to be understood. Two things need to be understood. Number one, they were speaking about things like classical music. So it was just plain instruments and nothing else. Number two, we as Muslims, we're not so much concerned about who held the opinion, but we're more concerned with what was the evidence for their opinion. So you will find a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari where the Prophet ﷺ says that towards the end of times, there will be a group of people that will consider ma'azif as being halal. Ma'azif is a synonym of music. Without going into too much detail, you can listen to what Shaykh Kamal al has to say about it. So Ibn Hazm and al-Shawkani, rahimahumullah, they both weakened this hadith even though it is inside Sahih al-Bukhari. Even though it is inside Sahih al-Bukhari. So their intention was not to promote evil of the industry that exists today, but their way of approaching it was that things are within of themselves halal, and there's no evidence to indicate explicitly that it is haram, so it remains upon this default ruling it being halal. But it wasn't about the music that we have today. So to justify what people listen to today through the likes of Imam al-Shawkani, through the likes of Ibn Hazm, rahimahumullah, is not justified. So that's just a brief snippet I wanted to share with you. And inshallah, you can listen to Shaykh Kamal al-Makki's lecture, The End of Music, to refer back to that. Now, let's get back to our issue at hand. And Ibn Hazm, Ibn Hazm. So Shawkani, rahimahullah, more recent from Yemen, and Ibn Hazm uh, from Andalus, more uh, back in time. So let's start off with a verse from the Qur'an. In Surah An-Nur, verse number 19, it can be translated as, Indeed, those who like that immorality should be spread among the believers, 
will have a painful punishment in this world and the hereafter. Allah knows and you do not know. So the word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used for immorality over here is fahisha, which is lewdness and immorality. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those people that love to spread this immorality, they will have a punishment in this life and the hereafter, and Allah knows and you do not know. And this last part, that's the scary part. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and Allah knows and you do not know, He's talking about the severity of the punishment and how this punishment will impact you. We all have different tolerances for pain. We all have different tolerances for punishment. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is posing a threat that you do not know how this punishment will impact you. That it's going to be so severe that it's going to be in this life and the hereafter. And be prepared because you don't know how severe it is. Be prepared. You don't know how severe it is. So here there is a severe warning from the Quran that do not spread your sins nor spread the sins of others. Why is this prohibition there? Let's look at two angles right now from the beginning. Angle number one is that as we've been discussing throughout the series, as believers, when we see a sin and we're in a position of authority, we change it with our hands. If we're not in a position of authority, but we have ability, we speak out against it. If we don't have ability, then we hate it in our hearts. Meaning that when sin is done, that is, you know, the three-tiered approach we want to take towards it. So if you are sharing a sin, you're going against this tiered approach. Then number two is the ramification of the sin. The ramification of the sin also breaks down into two. Number one, we'll discuss this hadith in detail as it's coming up, or actually let's just take it right now, that the Prophet ﷺ says, every one of my nation will be forgiven. Except for those that sin in public. Among them is a man who commits an evil deed in the night that Allah has hidden for him. Then in the morning, he says, O oh people, I have committed this sin. His Lord had hidden it during the night, but in the morning he reveals what Allah has hidden. So this shows us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's merciful nature with us is that when we commit a sin, the default is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has covered it for us. And no one knows about it. And then the daytime comes and you share it with the people when Allah has covered it. This is as if you're rejecting the mercy of Allah and rejecting this gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's one component to this. The second component to this is that the Prophet ﷺ tells us that whoever initiates a good deed in Islam will get the reward of the one that does it. And whoever initiates a sin in Islam and a bad deed in Islam will get the evil deed of the one that does it as well. And oftentimes, all that people need is that sense of encouragement. So people see one person doing it, and they feel it gives them license. You know what? Not only should I, can I commit this sin as well, but I'm going to publicize it as well. And this goes back to this fad of sharing your Spotify playlist and how long you listened to it for. What is the sense behind that? Can someone explain that? Like, why would you publicly disclose how much time you've wasted listening to this stuff? Right? It's purely about following trends and being socially validated and getting those likes. And we'll come to discuss the impact that that has as well. So now, let us establish another baseline as well, which is each and every one of us is prone to sin. Allah's Messenger وسلم, he tells us, Kullu ibn Adam that all of the children of Adam are sinners. They're going to make mistakes. So that's inevitable. 
But how we respond to the mistake is paramount. And that is why the Prophet ﷺ goes on to say, That the best of those that sin are the ones that repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So part of your repentance should be that you do not disclose your sins, not publicly, not to anyone else, and you keep it to yourself. And you keep it to yourself. Now, question for you. Is there a time where you are allowed to disclose a sin that you have committed? What do you guys think? If you have an answer, raise your hand. Go ahead. Yeah. If you're confessing to someone, that is a very interesting concept. In Islam, we don't confess our sins except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're basically saying that, oh Allah forgive. It's kind of like Tawbah. Kind of like Tawbah? I'll accept it. I, I know you're coming from the right place. There's a sister with her hand up. Go ahead. Excellent. So we'll take that as rule number one. So particularly for Ghiba, um, did you attend the sisters' class this Wednesday by any chance? No, okay, because we spent a lot of time talking about that. So particularly when it comes to Ghiba, when you make tawbah for Ghiba, it's not just about you asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness, but in the situation where you've backbitten another individual and it will not lead to a greater mafsada, you actually are required to go and apologize to them for that sin. You actually are required to go and apologize to them as long as it doesn't lead to a greater mafsada. So this is number one, that if you've done something wrong to someone and you go to apologize to them, you specify what it is for, so you're, you're telling them about that sin. How about scenarios two and three? Go ahead. Mm, but why would you tell them about a sin that you committed? Like, I'm trying to think about a scenario where, I, why would you need to tell them that? Yeah, I think you're, you're heading in the right direction. You're like halfway there, but you need to just work on it a little bit. Go ahead. Excellent. So that's number two. A person is seeking professional help. And this person has experience or is trained in this matter, so dealing with addictions and those sort of things. So in that sort of situation, you can speak to a professional counselor and tell them what you're addicted to and tell them what you are struggling with. That is scenario number two. Go ahead. Interesting. So what are you referring to exactly? Okay. Okay. I'll be honest. I did not think of that, but I will accept that as well. So we're going to make that number three and then move on to number four. So number three, what the brother said was that if you're proposing to someone and you have a habit like vaping, this is something that you should disclose. This is something that you should disclose that you have this habit with the intention that you're trying to give it up and you're seeking the professional help to give it up. What is a fourth scenario that you can disclose a sin and it would be valid? 
Go ahead. Okay. So you slash their tires, then you go and tell them, hey, I slashed your tires? I don't know, man. This is a tough one. But this is I'll consider it part of the Tawbah, right? This is a part of Tawbah. Like you're making, you're making, you're repenting for a mistake that you made, and you've damaged someone, you go and tell them of the damage that you make. So I'll accept that, but I'm going to tie that in with number one. So that still keeps us at four. Go ahead, Moose. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's not what I'm thinking of. But I got happy when you raised your hand. I'm going to share the answer that I'm looking for. The answer that I'm looking Actually, go ahead. We didn't go to you. Allahu Akbar, explain. Exactly. And that's why you find so many stories of Tawbah from the Salaf, that they share their stories of Tawbah. You have like the famous story of Malik ibn Dinar and uh, I believe Al-Fudayl ibn Iyad, how they used to steal and how they used to drink, and eventually they repented. And they share these stories not for the sake of exposing their sins, but for the sake of encouraging the sinners that, look, let me help you. Use this story as a lesson. If I was able to do it, you'll be able to do it as well. So to inspire people to make Tawbah. So to inspire people to make Tawbah. So those are the scenarios under which it would be permitted to expose a sin. Those are the scenarios under which it would be <coughs> permissible to expose your sin. Now, he goes on to discuss one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as-sittir. And often we hear the name as-sattar and as-sittir, and they're often considered synonymous. And Allah knows best, the more authentic version of Allah's name is actually as-sittir, the one that perpetually covers up and regularly covers up. Now, the beauty of this name is that if you look at some of the commentary of, of, of the scholars when it comes to this, they talk about this covering that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does is such a beautiful covering. Like Sufyan ibn Uyayna rahimahullah, he says that imagine if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put an odor to our sins. Imagine if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had put an odor to our sins, no one would want to sit next to us. No one would want to sit next to us. So a sitir, the one that covers up those sins, hides that odor that the sin would have given off. Hides that odor that the one that has given off. You have other great imams that talk about when people are impressed with you, they're not impressed with your deeds, but they're impressed with the covering up of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of your sins. They're impressed with the covering up of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of your sins. And this is what is extracted from the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as sitir. So oftentimes when a person commits a sin, not only do we make tawbah and seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness, but we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sitr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cover our faults from the people. Because we don't want our faults to be exposed. Not in this life, nor in the hereafter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about one of the very first punishments that will take place on the day of judgment is the humiliation of people. The very first punishment will be the humiliation of people. So we know the famous hadith of the, the scholar, the martyr, and the generous person. They all say that I did this for your sake, O Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that you have lied and they will be dragged on their faces and thrown into the hellfire. Why dragged onto their faces? To be humiliated in front of the people. So when you seek sitr from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conceals your sins in this life and the next. So make that as a part of your dua that you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for sitr in this life and the next. Now, let's talk about people getting exposed. 
So you will see from time to time, people will get exposed. And you may think to yourself, subhanAllah, how did this person get exposed? Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not a sitir? Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not the one that covers up faults and mistakes? Well, let's look at what Umar ibn Khattab and Ali ibn Abi Talib have to say as he reported in Sahih Muslim. So Anas ibn Malik, he reports the story of a thief at the time of Umar ibn Khattab. The thief said, by Allah, I have never stolen before this. So this thief has been caught. Umar said, you have lied by the Lord of Umar. Allah does not take a slave at the first sin. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not expose a person for the first sin that they have committed. Then Ali ibn Abi Talib said, O leader of the believers, Allah is more forbearing than to take a slave for his first sin. Umar then gave the order that this man should be punished. Then Ali asked him to speak the truth. How many times before had you stolen? And he said, 21 times. 21 times. And this is a second lesson over here, subhanAllah, that a lot of us will struggle with sins. A lot of us will struggle with sins. But the key over here is to improve and to have the intention to improve and the intention to change and never ever give up on that intention. And as long as you do that, you will have the sitr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as you don't expose it yourself. And this is like a, a big thing in our times. Due to the nature of the internet, where you can do things privately and no one will know about them except you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's very important that we keep this intention in mind. That as you struggle with your sin, repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rectify your intention that, oh Allah, help me to never commit this sin again. And if it happens, do the same thing again. And keep doing it. But also make sure you're trying to make habits to change that bad habit. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that ends up happening, particularly with young men, they end up watching things on the internet that they shouldn't be doing. How do you change this? So one of the things that you can do is get a net nanny installed on your internet. So don't know the password, give it to someone else, and it blocks all of those websites. It blocks all of those websites. Number two, keep your computer in a public space. Don't have it just in your room. Or if you have it in your room, leave the door open and never close the door while you're using the computer. Number three, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. This is something that isn't done enough. That seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the sins of the eyes. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect your eyes and to protect your heart and to protect your chastity. The same dua that the Prophet sallallahu made for the young man that came and asked permission to commit zina. Right? So continue to do these things and make sure you're taking those proactive steps. Do not share your sins publicly and keep rectifying your intention. And as long as you do that, then ta'ala, a time will come where you will be over to come, where you will be able to overcome it. You and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are stronger than any sin that you could be addicted to. You have to believe that. And that is a part of the change process that you and Allah together are stronger than any sin that you're committed to or addicted to. And you have to believe that as a part of the process. So now, getting exposed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people many, many opportunities. And He continues to conceal. But if they stop making tawbah and they do not make a sincere effort to give up, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposes them. 
and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from that. Allahumma ameen. Now, we've spoken about this before as well. The internet is forever. The internet is forever. And it's really scary what that actually means. Like if you go into like Google archives, if you like had a blog in like, you know, 1999, somehow Google has an archive of it. And it's crazy some of the things that the internet is able to retain. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Because you may think you're young, you know what, it'll erase, it'll go away, it'll get forgotten. But when it comes time for marriage and they type your name into Google, and then Google Archives comes up, you're going to get exposed. You apply for a job, one of the things that they're doing these days is they want to see your social footprint online, right? You're applying for other things, other opportunities, even going to university now into master's and PhD programs, they look at your social footprint online and they see what you've done. So you may think that I'm young, I'm going to get away with it, it's not going to have an impact, but trust me, those things don't get erased and don't get deleted. And when those mistakes are done, it's very hard to erase them and get them off the internet. There are very complicated ways to do that, but at the end of the day, prevention is better than cure. Prevention is better than cure. So take the approach that I'm not going to publicize any of my mistakes, any of my faults, any of my sins online. Which leads us to the responsibility of the believer of casting away doubt from themselves. The responsibility of the believer to cast away doubt from themselves. The Prophet ﷺ was in Itikaf and his wife Sophia came to see him. And as they were leaving, it was dark outside and there was no lights, there's no lampposts, there's no lights out there. And two men walked by the Prophet ﷺ as he was with Safiya. Now the Prophet ﷺ, the best of mankind, if anyone gets benefit of the doubt, it is the Prophet ﷺ. But he teaches us the noble thing to do, to cast off doubt from yourself whenever possible. Yes, people should give you the benefit of the doubt. In all scenarios, people should give you the benefit out of the doubt. But the Prophet ﷺ teaches us a very valuable lesson. So he goes to these two believers and he tells them that this is my wife, Safiya. She's not a strange woman that I am with. And they say, Ya Rasulullah, we would only assume the best of you. You know, there, there was no need for you to do this. But look at what the Prophet ﷺ says. He says, Shaitan circulates in the body of man just as blood circulates. And I was afraid he would instill evil suspicion in your hearts. So the responsibility of the believer is to cast away doubt from themselves. So if you are ever in a situation that could compromise your integrity, could compromise your character, make sure if you are seen in such a situation, you explain what you are doing there, rather than assuming that people will give you the benefit of the doubt. Rather than assuming that people will give you the benefit of the doubt. They should, but as the Prophet ﷺ explains, that even the best of people can be overcome by shaitan. Shaitan plants that seed. Hey, wasn't this the guy that was leading the salah in the masjid? Wasn't this the guy that was speaking about X, Y, and Z? Wasn't this the guy that tells people to do good deeds? What is he doing in such a situation? What is he doing outside of this place? And shaitan keeps planting that seed till you start wondering. And then you go and ask someone, hey, you know what I saw? I saw so-and-so outside of such and such place. What do you think they were doing there? And then you guys start backbiting and you start guessing what they were doing there. But in that sort of situation, clarify what you're doing and you save yourself 
a lot of headache. You save yourself a lot of headache. Now, I want to share a quote with you from Vincent Cerf. I think that's how you pronounce his name, C-E-R-F. And he's known as one of the fathers of the internet. He said, the internet is a reflection of our society. And that mirror is going to be reflecting what we see. If we do not like what we see in that mirror, the problem is not to fix the mirror. We have to fix society. We have to fix society. Now, I want you to take a guess. What is the number one type of site that is created every single day? What do you think that is? Do you think it's something good or something bad? So the type of site that's created every single day. Is it something good or something bad? No. I love the fact that you're so young and innocent. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep you like that always. It's something bad. And it's not even close. Like if you look at the numbers for adult entertainment, the number of sites that are created every single day, it outshadows like every other category exponentially. Exponentially outshadows all the other categories. And you can add like business websites, you can add blogs, you can add whatever, and exponentially the, those sins are still greater, subhanAllah. And that's the reality of it. So when we look at the internet and we take this quote at face value, then that is a reflection of the sicknesses and the illnesses in our society. And we as a community have a responsibility that starts off with ourselves first, that we want to make sure that we're not consuming this content, we want to make sure that we try to stay away from it, and we lead as halal as a lifestyle as possible. But then the second tier to this is that what are we doing to counter this immorality? What are we doing to counter this immorality? And that's a discussion for another time. right? What does it look like as a collective that is trying to counter immorality, that is trying to counter immorality? And one of the things that needs to be spoken about is also the agenda of the LGBT community, right? We have to speak about that at some point or another. And there's a great lecture that I would encourage people to listen to by Sheikh Mustafa Umar, by Sheikh Mustafa Umar, that he speaks about the agenda of the LGBT community and the responsibility of faith-based communities encountering such agendas, encountering such agendas. So that's something very important to look at. Now, We've spoken about sharing our own sins, but how about sharing the sins of others? How about sharing the sins of others? So on Instagram, you can share other people's photos. You can share other people's stories. On Twitter, you can quote, retweet them. And there's a point that needs to be made over here, that as people promote their sins, even in trying to counter that sin, we should not be sharing it. Even trying to counter that sin, do not share it. So speak about the concept in general. Muslims shouldn't be drinking. Muslims shouldn't be at clubs. Muslims shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. But don't bring attention to that person's sin. The Prophet wasallam says, O you who have believed with their tongues, yet faith has not entered their hearts. Do not backbite the Muslims and do not seek to discover their faults. For whoever seeks after their faults, Allah will seek his faults. And if Allah seeks his faults, he will expose him with even, what he even if what he committed was in his own home. Even if what he committed is in his own home. So let's speak about this. Remember, maybe if, for those of you that were there for lecture number one, how do you deal with those people that you don't like online? So Islamophobes, people that are promoting evil, how do you interact with them, right? We've discussed this. And one of the things what someone might end up doing 
is going through their history and then exposing their history. And we see this all the time. You have a question? Sorry, blocking? You should block them. Best advice you'll ever receive. Block people. Freely. Feel free to block them. And don't even feel guilty about that. You don't owe anyone anything. Block everyone that bothers you. Block everyone that annoys you. Only interact with the people that you want to interact with. Lovely advice. But what I was trying to get at was, one of the mistakes that people make is you start going through people's histories. Start going through their Instagram history, start going through their Twitter history, pointing out their mistakes, pointing out their faults, trying to discredit them. And this particularly when you're debating someone, right? You know, we have these uh, keyboard warriors all the time that want to debate people online. Someone proves you wrong, khalas, let's go through their history and find a way to discredit them because I couldn't prove them wrong. And this is what the Prophet Sallallahu is referring to in this hadith. Do not be of those people that go down a road that is so dark that in hurting others, they're only hurting themselves. So understand the sanctity of hurting people. Now, let's look at another vice. Becoming famous by any means necessary. So we're speaking about becoming an influencer. Becoming an influencer. And this is something that is in our day and age. People see these people getting brand endorsements and getting paid to sponsorships. And they're like, you know what? This is a viable career. This is what I want to do. So shaitan plants it in your head. I want to become famous by any means necessary. And you look at certain families, and I'll, I'll speak openly about this. If you look at the Kardashian family, what positive quality do they have to share with you? Name one positive quality that they have to share with you. So now the question arises, how did they arrive to fame? It's by the public sins that they committed and the sins that they shared with the world. The world clicked on it. The world saw it. It created reputation for them. And brands saw that these people now have an audience. And all of a sudden, we're sending sponsorships their way. Hey, can you advertise uh, for us? There's another example. I, I, I don't know her name. Um, but she's known as Bad Barbie. She's the one that had this famous quote with uh, Dr. Phil catch me outside. I don't know if you guys remember that or not, right? Like if you look at this lady, if you look at this lady, what positive impact does she bring to the world? Absolutely nothing. But she gets paid like $16 million a year for brand endorsements and stuff like that. I don't quote me on the number, but it's in the millions. Why? Because eyes are on her. And as long as eyes are on her, brands want their you know, uh, brand uh, exposed. They're like, you know, any exposure is good exposure. So if you look at how that happens, and this is another point that needs to be understood, as Muslims, we don't believe in this concept of getting influential by any means necessary. In fact, we believe in the exact opposite. The more influence you have, the more accountability you will have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more influence you have, the more accountability you will have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that if you can't influence to the people towards good, then at least don't influence them towards bad. At least don't influence them towards bad. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he tells us, That if you do not have any modesty or shame whatsoever, then go ahead and act. And see what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does with you. And see what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does with you. Now, how do we counter this need for recognition, this need for validation, this need for wanting to be seen? And this is something that it happens to everyone, the need to be recognized. But what we want to look at is 
Who is our audience? Who do we want to be seen by? The Prophet wasallam, in the farewell sermon, in the khutbatul wida'ah, he ends off the sermon towards the ending. He says, Allahumma ashhad, that, O oh Allah, testify that I have conveyed the message. One of the wisdoms that you can extract from this is that Allah's Messenger وسلم, wanted to reinforce within himself that Allah is watching what I'm doing and Allah is a witness to what I had just committed. Meaning that towards the end of his life, he has conveyed the message of Islam. He has conveyed the message of Islam. What's even more fascinating is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believers in Surah At-Tawbah. He tells us, Kul i'malu that go ahead and act for surely Allah and His Messenger and the believers, they see everything that you do. So if you're doing good deeds, you'll get that recognition. Don't seek it. It'll be a byproduct of the good deed itself. You remain sincere. Allah will grant you kabul and acceptance amongst the people. You lack that sincerity. No matter how many ads you put up publicizing your good deed, you're not going to get acceptance amongst the people. The key is always sincerity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two is that keeping true and good companionship. These friends that you have that encourage you to be the best version of yourselves, that encourage you to work on your weaknesses, that encourage you to spend time studying the deen and help you hide your sins and your mistakes, they are the best form of validation. And that is what you want to seek out. Those close friends that will bring you closer to Allah, bring you to halaqat, bring you to the masjid, that will help you become a better person, that is how you get your validation. And this is what the Prophet sorry, this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, that even friends will be turned into enemies on the day of judgment, except for who? Except for the muttaqoon, except for those friends that the relationship was based upon taqwa and getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, let's conclude with the action item that he has. The action item that he has. He says, learn and make this dua regularly that the Prophet sallallahu would make every morning and evening. And it's reported by Abu Dawood, Nasai, and Ibn Majah. And inshallah, I will share this um, on social media so that everyone can get access to it. But the summary of it is, O oh Allah, I ask you for your pardon and well-being in this life and the next. The dua that starts off with, Allahumma inni as'aluka al-afwa wal-afiyah fi dunya wal-akhirah. It's a long dua, but it's a good dua to say regularly. Why? Because it goes on to say, O oh Allah, I ask you for pardon and well-being in my religious and worldly affairs and my family and my wealth. O oh Allah, veil my weaknesses and set at ease my dismay. So veil my weaknesses. O oh Allah, preserve me from the front and from behind and on my right and on my left and from above and I take refuge with you that I should be devoured by the earth from underneath. And I take refuge in you that I should be devoured by the earth from underneath. So that is his action point for regard, with regards to publicizing sins. Go ahead. That's exactly the one. That's exactly the one. Jazakallah khair. Maybe you can spend some time teaching everyone inshallah. Go ahead. Sure.
Of course. So that's always the exception to the rule. So the sister's question is, what if they're doing something that is considered harm to themselves and it can end very, very badly? So in that sort of situations, by all means, at any time where someone is in drastic danger, there is no concept of backbiting. There is no concept of backbiting and reach out to the appropriate person. It can be their parent, it can be a professional, but there's nothing, there's no backbiting at that time, and that can definitely be done there in Nahi Ta'ala. Go ahead. Of course. Excellent. So the brother's question is with regards to du'at and imams and shuyukh that have, you know, expose pieces done about them. How do you react to it? How do you react to it? And this is, subhanAllah, you know, over the past few years, this has happened uh, more and more frequently. But we have to establish a number of uh, principles right off the bat that our deen is not tied to personalities. And it's easy that you listen to this person every single day and you listen to the regular's lecture uh, nor, uh, re regularly, you're going to build some sort of love and affinity for that individual. So it's inevitable that you build attachment, but it shouldn't come to the point where if they do something wrong, it ends up being a crisis of faith for you. And that's what I'm talking about, that you don't want to have a crisis of faith when you find out that your famous celebrity preacher has made a mistake. Number two, our natural response should be twofold. Number one, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect our own sins and to cover our own faults and thanking Allah that we have not been exposed. And number two, to make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides them if they've made this mistake or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala proves their innocence if they're actually innocent. That's step number two. Step number three is stay away from discussing this. There's no need to discuss this. I think that's where the bigger problem is. An article is written and someone you know, does a, a talk and we want to share it with people, we want to discuss it with people. Often look at what is the merit of sharing it. The only time, you know, again, talking about harm, if this individual is causing harm to the community, he's preying on the community, then yes, that person should be exposed. But that is something that should be left to the imams and the shiuch of the community, not to the lay people. And that is why the burden is so great on the imams and the shiuch on the community that they have a responsibility to protect their communities. So leave that up to them, but it should not be done by the lay people. And that is the three pieces of advice I would share. Go ahead. Right. Right. Excellent. So the brother's question is with regards to a person that gets exposed and now starts having suicidal ideation. So number one is that if this person is innocent, this person continues to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to prove his innocence and to uh, make their path out of this easy. 
And the scholars recommend continuously making istighfar. That istighfar is one of the best ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens doors. Number two is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he tells us, Unsur akhaka zaliman o mazlum. That help your brother and sister, whether they are oppressing or being oppressed. The Sahaba responded, O Messenger of Allah, we know how to help someone when they're being oppressed, but how do we help someone when they're the oppressor? And the Prophet ﷺ said, by helping them get out of their oppression, by helping them get out of their oppression. So over here, the community has a responsibility for reforming people's behavior within uh, public spaces. So if someone's doing something bad publicly, you have a responsibility to change that behavior. So in this sort of situation, if a public person has been exposed for publicly been doing something, the community has a responsibility to sit down with this individual and engage with this individual. If this person is sincere, they repent to Allah and tell them that, look, I'm trying to change my ways, help me change my ways. But oftentimes, and actually I shouldn't say often, what happens sometimes is that people become very egotistical as they become defensive. Right? They're like, no, I didn't make this mistake. No, you guys are overreacting. No, I'm innocent. No, you guys are just out to get me. And he started developing this personality of constantly being a victim. And that's what you try to want to try to avoid. That if you've made a mistake, own up to it. Say, look, I made this mistake. I've repented to Allah and I'm apologizing to everyone. And that is step number one. Step number two, outline the steps that you're taking for reformation and rehabilitation. And that is as simple as it is. Do those two steps, and the Muslim community is very forgiving. For the acceptance, for the acceptance from the community. But if you are innocent, and you're just being slandered, it is the sunnah of Allah that the innocent will be vindicated. We see this with Aisha radiallahu anha. We see this in the hadith of Juraj. We see this in many other, uh, in the story of Yusuf. The innocent will always be vindicated. Just have faith in Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make a way out. And Allah knows best. Go ahead. Yeah. Excellent question. By the way, was that the question you asked me last week? Because I remember you asked me a good question last week. I still want you to ask me that later on though, okay? So now, the topic of cancel culture and, and how we respond to this. You know, Sheikh Yasuf Qadi actually has a very good lecture on cancel culture. I think that's uh, worth listening to. Much longer lecture, we can listen to that. But should we socially punish people for the misdeeds that they have done? And I think, I want to take another angle to this. If this is an imam, this is a sheikh that's spreading knowledge, a part of knowledge is barakah. Right? A part of knowledge is barakah. And if this person is publicly and openly committing sins, you only want to seek knowledge from people that you will get barakah through their knowledge, through their own practice, through their own implementation. Right? So that's what we're going to be referring to. Now, if this is just another public figure, then again, the key concept comes back, how do we get them to reform and rehabilitate? If there is merit in reformation and rehabilitation 
through social boycott, I think that's a step that can be taken. But is this actually proven? That if you socially boycott someone, do they rehabilitate and reform? I don't believe that to be true. And I think, you know, if we take the example of Kanye West right now and everything that's going on, he's banned from Twitter, gets come back, comes back to Twitter, and becomes like 10 times more worse. He's like, you guys let me on, that was your mistake. I'm going to punish you for that now, right? So you have to look at the personality that you're dealing with. You really have to look at the personality that you're dealing with. And this is why... You have to look at, is this person sincere? Is there putting, are they putting their ego aside? Are they willing to listen to advice? If they are, we hold them by the hand and we help them repent and get closer. But if they aren't, for the sake of your own deen, why would you want to interact with this person? Why would you want to learn from this person? Why would you want to benefit from this person when there would be no barakah in what they're doing and saying and implementing? And Allah knows best. How are you guys feeling? Are you guys feeling tired right now? Who's tired? Raise your hand. Who's tired? Raise your hand. Okay, so I think, you know what, we'll just do a couple of more questions and we'll call it a night and then I'll tell you something else inshallah. You have a question? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Can you think of an example? Can you give me an example? So there's person A and person B. What happened to person A and person B? Physically? Okay, and now what are you, what are you asking? Should I, what should you do? Tell person B? But person B knows about it because they physically got hurt. So they said something about them. No, then obviously, no way. You should not do that. That's considered namima. Namima is you telling something to someone else with the intention of causing a fight. So your response, and sister, can I have your attention? Yeah. Your response is that if you see person A say something about someone else, if you have the ability to go and speak to them and tell them what they've done is wrong, that's what you need to do. If you don't have that ability, stay silent and hate it in your heart. But by no means should you go and tell someone else that, hey, such and such person said such and such about you, right? The only exception to that, again, is like if that person says that, hey, I'm going to go and stab someone, and you see like a knife in their hand, Warn them and then obviously tell the appropriate uh, professional at that time. Go ahead. I've heard many times that if uh, God will take his power, yeah. but what if you're doing it for the sake of the community and you will apologize Excellent. So the uh, concept of seeking leadership, I actually did two sessions on this uh, that you can find on the IAC YouTube channel, uh, Prophetic Lessons in Leadership. In summary, if you have the qualifications, no one else better to do the job, then yes, you should seek that position. But if you don't have the qualifications or if there's someone else better to do the job, find the person that's better to do it, and Allah knows best. Go ahead. Namima. Yeah. Forgive them. So the, person's, the brother's question is someone that shares slander with you, what should you do with that individual? Forgive them and move on with your life. Forgive them and move on with your life. Yes. Yeah. And walk away. Yes. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, not even defend the person. Like our deen is based upon masalih and mafasid, benefits and harms. If what you're going to do is going to lead to a greater harm, then you don't do it. But if you feel that you're able to defend the person, then by all means you should. By all means you should. And whoever defends their, uh, their brother and sister in their absence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect them from the hellfire. Now I want to just talk about two topics that uh, are related to this, are related to this. Number one is with regards to sisters that do not wear hijab. Sisters that do not wear hijab and their social media accounts. Again, I'll start off with a disclaimer. I recognize that wearing hijab is a challenge that as a man, as a brother, I will not understand. And I recognize that. And I come from the position, not of judgment, but from the sake of informing and educating. That today we discuss the topic of publicizing sins. Publicizing sins. If a sister does not wear hijab without a valid reason, this is considered sinful behavior. And that is something that she should repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for. I'll go on a very quick tangent. A part of a sister's rectification of her behavior of that is that she can wear her hijab in places that she feels more comfortable. So she comes to the masjid, there's a safe space, there, inshallah there's no Islamophobic attacks, inshallah no one's going to judge you, ta'ala. we can hope. It's a safe space, you can wear your hijab in the masjid while you're here, but if you don't wear it at, uh, on your way back, khalas, at least you're making an effort to wear it when you can. And that is not considered hypocrisy. That is taking a gradual approach to doing the right thing. Now getting to the point that I want to get at, a sister that does not wear hijab, her having a social media account, can she have a social media account? Yes, without a shadow of a doubt. She is allowed to have a social media account with all of the other guidelines that we have given. But what should not happen is for her to expose her pictures publicly. So if you're going to have an Instagram account, keep it locked. Only share it with your friends that are sisters and females as well, or your male relatives that are allowed to see you without hijab on, that are allowed to see you without your hijab on. It is a worry and a fear, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all and keep us safe and, you know, by any means necessary, keep us away from the punishment of the hellfire, ameen, that these pictures that are put up online and every time a non-mahram man sees it, that the sister incurs sin. The sister incurs sin. And that this goes against the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that Allah conceals your fault and you publicize it. So this is a genuine advice to rethink our approach to social media and influence, particularly when it comes to the sin of not wearing a hijab. And if a sister has a valid reason for not wearing hijab, and that's something that can be looked at and explored, psychological trauma, valid Islamophobia in the area that she lives in, like in France or in Quebec or something of that nature. There are exceptions to interaction at that time, but even then, we want to mitigate that online presence. We want to mitigate that online presence. Number two is that a brother had asked me a question two weeks ago, and that was about men watching MMA and watching uh, you know, uh, people fight. And I said that I would answer this question publicly. And I think this is a, a big thing. There's a culture, particularly with Khabib, particularly with Islam, particularly with Osman, and all these Muslim fighters that have come and are, are still fighting till today. How do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Number one is I think we need to understand 
what is halal and what is haram. So when we look at the contentions of fighting, there are three things that we will talk about that are haram. Number one is the issue of hitting on the face. Number two is the issue of the aura of the fighters themselves. And then number three is the issue of uh, the ring girls and even women fighting. And even women fighting because that's become a, a thing as well. So with regards to hitting on the face, the Prophet ﷺ has explicitly forbidden that. That you're not allowed to do so. You're not allowed to strike another individual on the face. The only exception to this is if a person is sparring and is training and your intent is not to harm and the other person is wearing protective gear, then at that time you are allowed hitting, but not with the intent to harm, for with the intent to train. So the general rule is that it is haram, stay away from it, but with training and with protective gear in place and no intention to harm, it will become allowed. Number two, with regards to the aura, we know that the aura of the man is between the navel and the knees. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, he says that the aura is of two types. The aura ghalidah and the aura khafifa. What is the difference between the two? The aura ghalidah, which is the aura which is severe, you're not allowed to look at, even if it is covered up, meaning you shouldn't stare at that area, and the person is required to cover that area up. That person is required to cover that area up. And this is the upper thigh and the private area of the man. That is the aura ghalidha. The aura khafifa, he says, is the area that you're not required to cover up, but a man should not stare at that area either. But a man should not stare at that area either. And he says, this is the lower thigh to just above the, the knees. And this is the, the lower part of the stomach, but above the abdomen. The lower part of the stomach, but above the, uh, the abdomen. And that is the aura khafifa. That is the aura khafifa. So when you're looking at MMA, and you're looking at these fighters, oftentimes their aura will be covered by this definition, but you still should not be staring at it. You still should not be staring at it. And then number three is with the ring girls, there's no way around it. She's walking... Even if you're watching MMA and you recognize that it's wrong, if you can, fast forward through it. If you can't, lower your gaze till it's over and the fight begins. Lower your gaze till the fight's over and your fight begins. Now, the last thing that I'll mention is that are all fights the same? What does that mean? What that means is the example of Khabib fighting McGregor. There was a vested interest of the Muslim community in that fight because it just wasn't an MMA fight anymore. This was like the religion of Islam protecting itself from Islamophobia, right? Like that's literally what it was. That Conor McGregor is making all these Islamophobic statements and you never have a legal opportunity to punch these people in the face. <laughs> Khabib had that opportunity. You know, it was as if we were punching Conor McGregor through Khabib that night. So I will give that disclaimer that if a person avoids MMA and UFC, but he gives in to these like, fights where it's like Islam defending itself, there may be some rule for acceptance and tolerance. But the general rule is try to avoid it. If you are going to watch it, minimize your sins. And don't just be like, I'm going to watch everything, even the, the women fighting. Right? There's no need to do that, Yahya. There's no need to do that. Minimize your sins. So that is the answer I wanted to give with that.
No. Yes. No, you can. You can, but with those three conditions. Yeah. That's not training. You go into a fight, not for the sake of sparring, but with the intent to win and to defeat and to harm. Right? That's, not, that's what's not allowed. As in, like we, we've been discussing this, right? Like when you see an evil take place, you either change it with your hands, speak out against it, or hate it with your heart. And the thing with constantly being exposed to it, it becomes harder and harder to hate it with your heart, right? So I understand that this is a phenomenon of our day and age, but you got to call a spade a spade, man, right? You can't find a way around it, and Allah knows best. So if you are going to watch it, because it's such a, a trendy thing, Try to minimize your sins. That's the, the best I can say. Right? So are submissions considered lawful? So you want to attack someone instead of punching them, you put them in an armbar? <laughs> is, your intent to, is his intent to harm at that time? It's not just to compete, bro. Right? It is to harm, and that's the issue, right? Like you go into those fights with the intent to harm, with the intent to win, with the intent to prove, prove your superiority and someone else's inferiority. Like those are the, the problems that need to be addressed. All right? So inshallah, I hope that answers that. I know we've gone on quite a bit, but this is what I want to say. So I do have good news for some of you. And that is, alhamdulillah, I have permission to extend the series. So I know we were supposed to conclude last week, but in all honesty, we're halfway done the book. And tonight I wanted to do two chapters. We only ended up doing one. So, next week we're going to try to do four chapters. So, be prepared to sit longer next week. We will take a break if we have to. But I want to get through the four chapters next week. And the week after that, we will finish. The week after that, we will finish. So, that is the good news. Let's conclude with that. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu la ilaha illaant. Astaghfirka wa tubu ilaik. Jazakum khairan for attending. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.